This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how much money are you really paying and getting back in rebates from the carbon tax? Toronto Sun columnist Lori Goldstein breaks down the carbon tax hike and how it will impact you this year. And in Ontario, you are not getting back anywhere near as much as promised, and that's going to get worse. Throwback Thursday, flashback Friday morning here on The Shift, and we're rewinding to 1988, the year Canada got its last shipment of CF-18 fighter jets. Of course, we've got some new ones coming, but it's been that long. What did Canada sound like when we got our last fighter jets? Well, we learned the history of the jet, and we hear some car commercials and some context of music from so long ago. And are you okay with Niagara Falls? Thumbs up. What about New Mexico? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's the Shift. And uh, I was going to talk to Lori Goldstein right now, but Lori, I'm too busy uh, counting all my free money I'm getting uh, <laughs> from the government here because uh, that's working in my favor. Uh, Lori is a Sun political columnist, and Lori has uh, been spending some time with carbon taxes and rebates and all of these things. Turns out, I don't know if you know this, that when you work in the world of money, Every time you interrupt the money, it costs money. For example, Lori and I are going to a beach in Mexico. We've got Canadian dollars. What do we need? Well, we actually need American dollars and we need Mexican pesos. Every time we turn our 10 bucks Canadian into another currency, somebody wants a piece. They did work for us. Fundamental portion of the money system. So when we talk about carbon tax, Lori, uh, thanks for being here. It looks like um, a little bit more is getting gobbled up than everybody at least understood there would be, or at least how it was sold to them. Yeah, well, look, there's there's a couple of things just to start to make it this clear. The, the carbon tax we're talking about is the one that Trudeau imposed on four provinces. The four provinces were Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. All of the other provinces have uh, provincial plans that the Trudeau government approved. So yeah, some they, semblance of the yeah, similar. Yes, you know they're all over all, all over the place. But but in these four provinces, which was the main selling point, the government said repeatedly, "We've been through what three environment ministers and, mm-hmm. and the government saying right up to this day, this is the greatest tax in the world because eighty percent of the people who pay it get back more money in well carbon tax rebates. They call them climate action incentives. You get them four <laughs> times a year." And they say that four to five people or families paying that tax get more. But it's not true. It's just not true. It's just not true at all. Um, We've found here, even in our community and coworkers, that it's also been wildly inconsistent how much people are getting, uh, probably on our shoulders for not understanding the rules around it and all of that stuff. But if... um, a little common sense gets applied to this process, it would seem that there are a lot more rules to how it all gets doled out than we're aware of or willing to spend the time learning anyway. It's confusing. Well, yeah, you see, here's another thing that I think legitimately confuses people. This, the carbon tax you pay isn't based on the carbon dioxide emissions you cause. It's based on family size. That's the only condition. So, you know, if you've got um, a family with two kids under 18 or a kid over 18 or, or a single parent, it, it all, it's all different, right? And then the problem becomes 
well, how do you know that you spent that much in carbon taxes? The only place the carbon tax is visible is on, uh, uh, you know, gasoline. You know, and you could go, okay, it's 11 cents higher, it's 14. By 2030, it's going to be 37 cents per liter alone for the carbon tax. The other place you can see it is you heat your home with natural gas or, uh, or oil, because if your company puts it, okay, this is the carbon tax, that's great. But the problem is that everything uses fossil fuel energy, everything. If you're transporting food to the supermarket, it's just like you said, everybody wants a piece of the action, right? Okay, the trucking company passes, delivers the food to the supermarket. Uh, okay, costs them more gasoline. So they have they they get more money. Um, the and you go through every stage of that transfer, any good or services, by the time it gets to us, there's a whole bunch of people who all needed more money because of the cost of the carbon tax. And the problem is it's buried, it's a dishonest tax, at least with the HST and the GST. I know we all hate it, but when you go to the restaurant and you yeah. get your bill, there it is. You know exactly how much the HST or the GST, depending on the province, cost you. With the carbon tax, you never find that out other than for two specific things. And even then, who's gonna sit around every, at the end of the year and look at every one of their uh, uh, heating bills, and every one of their hydro bills, and every one of their gas bills and figure out, well, how much, okay, here's how much I spent. Here's how much must've been, um, you know, here's how many liters I drove. Here's how much the carbon. It's just, it's, it's all nonsense. It's a dishonest tax. And the government is, according to the parliamentary budget officer, who's a financial watchdog, says, no, the carbon tax where you've put it, 80% of the households aren't getting more money. In fact, 60% of the households are getting less money. And it's now hundreds of dollars. Yeah. With eight years, it's going to be $1,000 more. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, it's just, and, and he just goes, and Ontario, uh, next year, 80% of the households will be paying more. And in Alberta, uh, that happens in 2028. So it, it's what governments do, right? They, they they throw smoke and mirrors at you. They explain it all. It sounds wonderful. And then you actually delve into it. And it's all BS. It's all BS. Yeah. Uh, although I would like to add one little correction. Sure. You said that they said, not correction for you. Uh, you said, they said, this is the best tax ever. Yeah. You forgot about the parentheses, the for us, the government. Because <laughs> it's, well, it's the best tax ever for them because there's no accountability when you can't trace the money. Well, let's make it simple. If we had a tax where four out of five people ended up better off, let's make all the taxes like that. That would yeah. be great. That would be great. Mm -hmm. They could take, take 100% of our money, everybody's, and they'll give yeah. us back. 80% of us will do better. Um, yeah. It just doesn't pass the smell test. It never does. It never has. And uh, what I am concerned about, though, is that there, there is so much confusion about it, which serves the government's purposes. Because when you actually explain this to people, and they understand it, they realize, well, this is no... And then we have a whole other issue. Is it doing what it's supposed to do? Right. If 80% or 60% of us... And, and look, it, it's based on income, right? The, the more you pay, the more likely you are... But the more you earn, the more likely you are to pay more in carbon tax than you get in rebates. So, okay, that's terrific. Is it lowering carbon taxes, right? Well, mm. no. I mean, our, our emissions aren't going down. Um, uh, so like, well, okay. Well, well use of petroleum is higher than ever, right? Well, well and liquid natural gas and all those things yeah. for a whole bunch of other issues. So, so well, two there's things. no economic base for that though, Ron, don't you remember? He just said that a few weeks ago. Yeah, but you just, so it, it's like, it's two things. It, it's, you know, it's too good to be true. And number two, 
is the tax at least doing what it's supposed to do? And yeah. it's not. Now, in fairness, it's early days. This has only been in place a couple years. But to me, what it's all heading into is that carbon taxes will ultimately be a sin tax like you do for cigarettes and alcohol, except the sin tax you're going to pay now is for living yeah. in a cold, big northern country um, where the population is really spread out. So our, our emissions are always going to be high. We're yeah. not Europe. You know, we're not Europe with more. We're the second largest, second coldest country in the world. We are mm. never going to have low per capita emissions because we have a resource-based economy. We're not, we're not Europe. We don't have milder temperatures. We don't have 80 million people in like a, in a tenth of the landmass. Of course, they're going to have low emissions. So, yeah. so it's it's um, that all goes back to the, the it also back years ago. It was the Kretchen government. They never should have signed us on the Kyoto Accord. It was the worst thing for a country like us. Um, but now, frankly, uh, both federal like what eighteen how many eleven times conservative and liberal governments have said here's the target for this year to lower our carbon tax emissions. They failed every single time. Yeah, the last time they time. blew it was three years, like no, Trill gets elected, four years, yep, we're gonna hit our 2020 target. Yep, we're gonna hit our 2020 target. Blew the target. So if we're spending all this money and it's not working, why are we spending all the money? It raises so many questions. Um, it's uh, taxes on taxes, first of all. Yep. Um, this is uh, because of the fact that it's a tax on a tax, yep. uh, meaning it's taxed on the the gross amount, not the net amount. And it's taxed on income, which I call a tax on tax because um, your income and in, they're already making more off your income tax. And now they're making more off of everything before you pay the income tax, right? That's so right, it's sure. taxes on taxes. And so um, it, it's a tax for disagreeing with an ideology. And before anybody gets their back up, I am the biggest proponent of responsible living protect the waters the big one for me and i mean i grew up in fort mcmurray Laurie. i don't know if you knew that so and i actually grew up on vancouver island port alberni so i grew up by the ocean and then i grew up in fort mcmurray went to high school mm -hmm. and so i have seen both ends of the spectrum and i have seen how it's necessary and required to be responsible and protect the important things and we all need to be more responsible but it's an tax for disagreeing with an ideology. And that's problematic to me. Um, there's a couple of things that you said there that really got me thinking. There are carbon taxes on greenhouses that grow things that gobble up carbon. They get taxed more. And then there is no carbon measurement in logging when they take away the trees and use the machines to take away the trees, there's no carbon tax calculation in logging for how much has affected the net effect of the trees coming and going. They do include the planting of the new trees as a positive benefit in logging, even though they're six inches tall. So it's a good example of how wildly out of balance it is. I mean, the guys growing tomatoes and cucumbers in greenhouses are paying astronomical taxes while logging companies don't deal with it the same way. Well, you can take it down to, to other things. Um, you know, what we call the much second, municipal, universities, schools, hospitals, right? You're paying carbon taxes. So like like a school has to yeah. have, or, or hospital has to have fewer nurses or teachers to pay the carbon tax. Mm -hmm. What what are they thinking? You know, what, what they're not thinking, that, to me. That's the problem. Everybody rushed into this 
Um, and for all kinds of people who are going, well, well, wait a minute, you know, yes, yes, we, we want to tax behavior. So we lower the behavior, blah, blah, blah. But the original sale on all this is that we would have the ability to lower our carbon output voluntarily. Why? Right. Because we would have better public transit, right? We would have e-vehicles. We would have um, all kinds. We would have alternatives to heating our homes with geothermal as opposed mm. to natural gas. But Which all, is cool if you can get it. It's great if you can get it. And in some parts of the country, you can. But the problem right now is that people are being hit with this stuff and there's no alternative. If you, like you say, Fort McMurray, you need trucks. You need, mm. you need, you know, to get to your, to your work. You need the it's place. Cold. Yeah, you need your house to be oh warm. God. You know, and like, so what? what's the alternative? What's the alternative to me freezing to death that I can realistically lower my carbon to? And that's the problem. It's the things that we need to do, the technologies that they're using are not ready for prime time. Wind and yeah. solar aren't ready for prime time. They just aren't because they can't provide base load power to the electricity grid on demand. That's why you need natural gas to back up the electricity system. Um, and so, so on top of all this, a tax that people don't understand, a tax that the government deliberately doesn't explain, a tax that where it's applied costs most people, most households per year, more money. The one thing they say is that, well, the incentive we give you back is tax-free. Well, that's wonderful because we paid it in tax dollars. So yeah, yeah twice it, actually. Yeah, so like, it's great. Paid twice. So if you were making us pay tax on the, on the climate incentive, um, that would kind of be like racketeering, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know? I'm pretty sure that is exactly yeah. the definition so, so, so of racketeering. They so they don't do it. So, but but it's just um, it, it's 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 wrong. It's just mm -hmm. wrong. They they've done this wrong. There are responsible things that we could do that could be helping. One of them would be to have a, like we're we're the fourth largest exporter and fourth largest um, producer of natural gas in the world. What does the world need right now? liquid natural gas because there's you know because the russian thing and and you know putin the lunatic has cut off supplies mm -hmm. um we could be helping number one keep europe warm number yep. two help company help sorry countries that have high coal emissions which is the real problem with emissions it's not yeah. the oil sands it's not oil it's not natural gas it's coal because most of the word world uses coal to provide electricity. We're great yeah. in Canada. We're always accused of being these horrible. We use coal to provide electricity. 9.5% of our electricity is produced by coal. China, mm -hmm. 60%. India, yeah. 70%. If we could take Canadian natural gas along with other countries that have it and help countries convert their coal-fired electricity to natural gas, which would be a technological thing to do and we would make money we could solve the problem of rising emissions the single mm -hmm. most effective thing we could do globally is replace coal-fired electricity with natural gas but we don't have any way to get it to europe because we never developed the infrastructure and so, then we said no and then yeah and, and you know and then the government says well that you know the, the the industry says to us it's not viable. You go to the industry, and the industry goes, no, no, no. It's the reason it's not viable is we can't get straight answers from the government. The government about, can't is in the way about whether yeah. they'll approve a pipeline. So yeah. we got it's all crazy. this stuff. So what do we do, like with natural gas, which is defined, which is defined by both the Europe, uh, sorry, the G7 countries of which Canada is a member, and the European Union 
as a transitional form of green energy, along with nuclear power. Canada has lots of natural gas. We have safe, reliable um, energy. It, it, it's the workhorse of the Ontario electricity system. No emissions. Yes, there's radioactivity, but we know how to deal with that. Yep. So we are basically sitting on a gold mine of green resources, and we can't get them anywhere. Um, yeah. But we'll tax people in Ontario, in Canada, which is responsible for 1.6% of global emissions, right? Which a couple of, you know, you run a couple of coal, uh, coal mines in China for an extra month or two, all of our emissions for the year are gone. So are done. It's insane. It, it's just it's insane. And, and, and not to get too into the weeds, but I just want to acknowledge this portion. I mean, wait until all the electric car batteries need minerals and then watch Sudbury and the Great Canadian Shield with all the cobalt and nickel start to get chopped up. And watch that fight start because it's going to start there too. Um, I did want to acknowledge the other sidebar story in Germany, the the coal mine story where they've basically have said now, partly because Canada said no, partly because of the war with Ukraine and the leverage that Russia has with um, all their natural gas, they've turned on the coal plants that were turned off. Of course. And now they're basically saying to this one community, hey, your house has got to go. Because we need the coal. And I don't know if you saw that story just a couple of days ago out of Germany. There was protesters standing at the edge of the mine saying, don't take down like Oma's house or something. And um, because they need coal so bad, they're literally going to chew through a town yeah. because they move too quickly into it. So well, I think the evidence is there, Laurie. Like we've seen it around the world that uh, going too fast doesn't work. The other thing that they that Europe did, Germany um, was is the most visible one we've seen because of the the cutoff of natural gas, but but Germany, I mean, Russia provides all you know all kinds of oil and natural gas to Europe, and the problem is they forgot the most important thing for government when it comes to energy for its citizens. There's some things governments are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to run the justice system. They're supposed to be able to issue uh, passports. They're supposed to handle immigration. Um, and they're supposed to make sure that, that Canadian healthcare across the country is equal. The other big thing you're supposed to do is provide your citizens with energy security. And, and in a country like Canada, as bad as it may be here, we have energy security. We have mm -hmm. vast resources of oil and natural gas. Thank heaven. What happened in Germany and in Europe was that they forgot about energy security. In Germany, they got rid of their nuclear plants. Why? Because of Fukushima. Well, wait a minute, Germany. Do you have nuclear plant? Do you have nuclear plants that are located on an earthquake fault line that could be hit yeah. by a tsunami? No. I don't know how many tsunamis they've ever had. Yeah, in you don't have Germany. to. Work. So Not they got many. they got rid of that. They got rid of uh, or they you know nuclear. Now they're firing back the coal plants, and then they went. But uh, we need a lot of wind and solar power, so we're going to use that. And oh wait, now we need a lot of natural gas power, but we don't want to. We don't want to use natural gas domestically because it will increase our emissions slightly. So what will we do? I know we'll buy it from Russia. What could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> All of this is because national governments forgot that one of their most important jobs is to be able to provide heat and electricity to their citizens in the most efficient and environmentally responsible way possible. They forgot that. And now they are scrambling and they are doing insane things like you're talking about. Um, mm. It's because they forgot. What could be more basic? What's the, what's the fundamental thing we expect when we come home? 
that the lights go on and in the winter yep. the heat goes on. That's you know Safe, that's pretty safety. fundamental. It's the only rule, right? The only rule yeah. of federal government is safety. That's right. That's it. That's the whole plan. Oh, this is fantastic. You can check out Lori's uh, columns in the sun. Always uh, Lori Goldstein here uh, on the shift talking about how the carbon tax is going to raise with the number of families that pay more than they get back in Ontario. I will link to this article too at shiftheads.ca. Thanks so much, Lori. Really appreciate the input. Great. Anytime. This is the shift podcast. So it's not been quite the same. It has, it's unfair for us to, you know, sort of quiz you as what it is. But I do have a question for you. Is where were you in this year? Here's what we like to do every now and then. It's been a little while since we've done it. So here's my big question. It's Throwback Thursday, Flashback Friday. Our year is 1988. Where were you? So text us 877-399-9898. Let me know. Where were you in 1988 and how old were you? Give me your name too. That'd be pretty awesome. And uh, do a little shout out, okay? Where were you? How old were you? 1988, 877-399-9898. Let's get ourselves started. If you weren't alive yet, by the way, you got to give me the minus age. Ryan O'Donnell, 1988 was minus eight. Did I get that right? 1988, you were minus eight? Uh, I don't do math good. Hold on. Da, 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 da. You know, my you teachers in high school always used to say, you won't have access to a calculator at all times. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Minus eight. Dude. Math correct. Oh, my God. Yes. You couldn't do. Yes. Dude. You can't put me on the spot like that. You literally you clearly did not have a, like that. You, you clearly did not have access to a calculator. <laughs> no, I did. I was typing it in. It was in front of me right now. Oh, it's good to you. I'm so fine. Funny. It's good. I'm glad. Okay. Mine, Ryan was minus eight in 1988. 1988, I was 13. 13. And um, 13. I was in Fort McMurray. Um, Ryan was a sparkle in the sky of stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jono was a sparkle in the sky of stars, too. Um, that's for sure. Jono's probably about minus 11. So you got to help me out, Shiftheads. Where were you and how old were you? Throwback Thursday, Flashback Friday, 1988. Now, why would we choose 1988? Some interesting um, pieces of news that have come out this week, stuff that actually happened through the Christmas break. It's one of those uh, a dump, we like to call it, is when the government dumps info. And the government spent a bunch of money on new airplanes, F-35s. And the F-35 is going to replace the CF-18. So what we did was we were like, well, wait a second. How old are those airplanes? So taking a moment to look into the CF-18 Hornet, the FA-18 is the base plane that you could buy back in the day. The CF-18 is the Canadian Forces version of it with everything we needed on it. So how does this all start and why 1988? That's the year when we took the end of our delivery of 19 uh, of our CF-18s. Now, the F-18 was delivered longer. That We'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's get a little look back. Canada's Air Force, almost 40 years ago, the CF-18 Hornet, throwback Thursday, flashback Friday. In 1980, the F-A-18 was selected as the winner 
of the new fighter aircraft project competition and awarded a production order. Deliveries of the CF-18 to the Canadian forces began in 1982. So it's now like 78 is really when they started with the, the prototypes. And then a couple years later, poof, we have them. CF-18s have supported North American Aerospace, Defense Command, NORAD, Air Sovereignty Patrols, and participated in combat in the Gulf War, Kosovo War in the late 90s as part of the Canadian contribution to the international Libyan no-fly zone in 2011. CF-18s were also part of the Canadian contribution to the military intervention against ISIL, Operation Impact. It's also famous for making a very loud howl when it flies by. Sounds like this. real screecher now i believe the uh fa-18 uh is the top gun plane so we all know it from there there's two versions of it in canada there's a and b a has one seat b has two seats in case you were wondering so a little bit of history for you on what is the cf-18 mcdonald douglas is the one who put together the the fa-18 and canada went took them in 1982 ended delivery of everything we ordered in 1988. That is the year that our everything changed for us because that's when the planes stopped coming. Now, the FA-18 continued until around 2000. I believe Boeing finished making them. Only because of business deals and all those things in aviation. And so they came for a lot longer. The ones that Canada purchased from Australia... Those ones were newer. They weren't as old as the ones we had. So when we went basically shopping on Kijiji for old airplanes, they did buy newer versions of the ones that that we had. The biggest users in the world were the United States, Navy and Marines, Australia, Spanish Air Force used them as well. Now, why is Canada's different? This is quite fascinating. The visible difference between the CF-18 and the U.S. F-18 is the 0.6 Mega Candela night identification light. The spotlight mounted to the gun loading door on the port side of the aircraft. There's a couple little other things there. I'm pretty sure ours came with a block heater. <laughs> it's a Canada joke. The F-35. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna Thank you for I'm pause just me. to give you credit for that because 100% <laughs> the CF-18 has to have a better heater than the American version. The Canadian F-18 has a little cord plug hanging out the front. <laughs> They can plug it in on cold nights. This is not true, by the way. The cord part is not true. But I do imagine it being like you're driving down the street in Canada, say in Winnipeg in the winter, and you see this rogue extension cord in the middle of the street from someone who forgot to unplug their car and drove away from their house. I feel like that's what would be on the runway, an extension cord, when someone forgot to unplug their CF-18. Anyway, back to the real accurate information. The F-35, Canada's new aircraft, is known as the uh, Super Semptor Semptor. You see, the burly wasn't working with me today, so unfortunately, <laughs> the auto correction, which I did an hour before the show, just decided to say, "Hey, no, you're there not you there. Go. That's a, a, a super computer." Shane. Oh, thank you. Unlike the computer, computer I'm using, which is not in a the super air. Yep. Yes, uh, like Ryan's supercalculator, the supercomputer in the here. Well, just because the CF-18 was made in the 80s doesn't mean it wasn't packed with all kinds of technology. See, the new one is basically literally like a flying computer, whole battalion of things, not just an airplane. 
So here is a bit of a story. CF-18 pilot Captain Eric O'Connor of the 409 Squadron giving a tour of the cockpit. And you can hear, clearly, it's complicated. There's split throttles, and they have 10 switches. And it goes from normal trimming to selection of, uh, of screens to bum to trigger for the, uh, the gun in front. We got a 20 millimeter cannon, and you got all the air-to-air weapon. We uh, carry the uh, Hornet, we carry AMRAM, AIM-9, AIM-7, and also the 20 millimeter gun, all uh, linked with our radar, or also the targeting pod. On the throttles, I have, uh, I have four sets of radios. I got uh, digital radios, I have normal radios, uh, which can be selected either UHF or VHF. I have speed brake, chaff flare, which is countermeasures for the missiles. I have my mouse to select everywhere. I got a big switch for the spotlight inside the aircraft where we use for uh, intercept. If you want to recognize an F-18 in Canada compared to the other F-18s, usually you can see that there's a uh, false canopy painted on the aircraft. And also on the side, there's a big spotlight there. Uh, the big spotlight there. Hey, man. You know, some things in life, I'm just a jerk. I think that's what it just boils down to, is that I can imagine, like, the pitching of, like, Dear Canada, you should buy our jet. It is filled with complicated knobs, and there's a spotlight there. You know? It's a good sales pitch. So, oh, boy. We got the little technology problem going on in the background. You know what? I'm going to call it out right now because this is uh, a little complicated. Yeah, I can't see it. Okay, so we're going to do the clip now from the interview uh, this week, Jono, because I can't see it. Ryan can see it, and I think you can. So that's what we're going to do here. So we had a guest on, Richard Shamuka, earlier in this week. He's an expert in this stuff. So Canada was supposed to pay, like in 2015, a bunch of money and then $70 billion today. It hasn't doubled, but it was pretty close from the original price. Now, the jet has come a long way since then. And $70 billion seems like a lot, which it is, of course, a lot of money. Richard Shamuka, senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute, told us on Tuesday that this was actually a good deal. And this is important for us to hear his perspective on the value of this jet for Canada. It's pretty well the best one for us. Uh, Canada's actually a partner in the program. Actually, some of the requirements, especially with the cold weather requirements, uh, Canadian representatives actually asked for or uh, pushed for so that you know it can operate at negative 40 degree uh, temperatures that we see up in the northern uh, foreign operating locations. Mm. Uh, in terms of cost, it's significantly cheaper. And part of the reason why is numbers. Uh, every year, there's over 100, 120, 150 that are being built of these. In, I believe it's as of last year, there's more F-35s than any other fighter. And by the end of the program, there's just going to be more F-35s than every single other aircraft that's been, uh, every other fighter that it was competing against. And that production scale really drives down the price that because they're basically able to mass produce these aircraft and there's such a large parts pool available for it that the cost of it was significantly less up to in the case of the Eurofighter, it was probably 20 to the 20 to 25 million less per aircraft or sorry, F-35s were 20 to 25 million less than per than uh, than another uh, Eurofighter, you know, when you kind of do a rough apples to apples kind of uh, comparison. Okay, so that's good to know. So, I mean, financially, the most responsible, excluding the seven-year delay on cost, um, that would be a big one. It cost from seven years ago when this was 
I guess it's more than that, six, seven, eight years ago, roughly, when it was going to happen, and then seven years ago when it was the no way were we ever going to buy F-35, as Justin Trudeau said, costs have changed too. Costs haven't changed that much, and it's partly because the United States and all these partners have kind of kept to their orders, and there's actually been more orders that have been put on because actually Germany has decided to buy uh, has actually uh, decided to buy Eurofighters themselves, or excuse me, F-35s themselves. Then you had Finland, which wasn't seen to be a, a likely purchaser of it. They actually they selected as well. It, it, that's kind of the underlying story of the F-35. It was kind of conceived of back around 2000 to replace a whole wide range of aircraft, not just American ones. There was the F-16 and the F-18 and the A-10 in the United States, but also a huge number of aircraft that were being utilized by all these other partner uh, countries and sort of allies, as we said, like with, with Germany and whatnot. All right, so that's Richard Chamuka joining us, an expert on all this from McDonald Laurier a few days ago here on The Shift. Now, the need to upgrade the CF-18 was demonstrated during the Gulf War deployment and during the 88 Kosovo conflict as advances in technology had rendered some of the avionics on the board quite obsolete and incompatible with NATO allies. NATO compatibility is a huge thing that we are seeing right now, right? Everybody wants to be compatible with each other, so when things like Ukraine happen... Everyone can come together and operate together. So there were dozens of upgrades done, everything from engines to weapons on the CF-18, of course, the technology too. It's a great jet. It has stood the test of time. The time has come, and the F-35 will serve, now we're told, and by all the experts, as a great replacement. It's worth noting that acquiring the aircraft, though, has become a bit of a nightmare. A Global News report from about 10 years ago, when the federal conservatives were running the country, and they restarted the deal with Lockheed Martin to get it done. Now, listen carefully to the estimated price tag. Uh, we're almost 80 million today, uh, 80 billion today. Uh, look at the estimated price tag 10 years ago of acquiring the jets. Parliamentary Budget Officer Kevin Page insisted all along the government was lowballing the true cost of the new F-35 fighter jets. But he says even the Tories hitting the reset button on the purchase isn't enough to undo the damage. Uh, certainly our experience in 2010-11 was a complete failure. And I think a lack of leadership both politically and I think by public servants as well. So it's very difficult to rebuild the process. I think trust is damaged. On the West Block with Tom Clark, the always outspoken number cruncher called for an open debate on the requirements and options for new jets. You, you know, if trust is broken, I don't think you get, you know, in terms of a reset, trust back until you have that debate in front of Parliament. An audit last week pegged the cost of the stealth fighter jet at $45.8 billion over a 42-year life cycle, a far cry from the government's initial estimate of $14.7 billion over a 20-year time frame. 14.780, just saying. So that was 10 years ago. Project for the budget was about $19 billion total. Officials said a technical briefing Monday that the jets are expected to land, <laughs> well done, around $70 billion plus. Depends on the number, depends on the analysis, as high as 77. Uh, Canada is still upgrading CF-18s, by the way. This will prolong their uh, parity and interoperability with NATO and other uh, standards of flying, by the way, because the CF-18s, uh, CF-35s just don't land, by the way. Here, here's a bunch. It's not the case. Cool stuff. Okay, 1988. That's how old our Air Force is. And that is Throwback Thursday, Flashback Friday. Should we have some fun? So what was it like in Canada when we received the last shipment of CF-18 fighter jets? Our military that keeps us safe? 
Well, in 1988, when we got our jets that protect us today, this movie had just come out. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is See what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. I uh, love that. That is, of course, the uh, ever amazing Die Hard that's been around. Feels like forever. It grossed $140 million back then. 1988, it came out. Now, while John McClane was taking down German terrorists, Canadian comedy legend Leslie Nielsen, along with Priscilla Presley, good timing, were making millions laugh in The Naked Gun. He's Lieutenant Frank Drebin. Whatever scum did this, not one man on this force will rest for one minute until he's behind bars. Now, let's grab a bite to eat. He's a good cop who's having a bad day. His best friend... Everyone should have a friend like you. ...is in a coma. As soon as Nordberg is better, he's welcome back at police squad. But I wouldn't wait until the last minute to fill out those organ donor cards. (laughs) That's 1988 and uh, The Naked Gun right there. That's when that movie came out. That is the same year we took the last delivery of what was the CF-18 Hornets. In 1988, Rich from Nevada was 41, living in Newmarket near Cambridge, England. Larry, the flower guy, 88, I was up on the hill uh, in Clinton Street, South Burnaby, 36 years old. There you go. 56 in Penticton says Linda. 1988, how old were you? Where were you living? 877-399-9898. There was also another movie that came out that was amazing, had Tom Hanks, and he danced on a piano. It's big. He made a little wish. I wish I were big. Sweetheart, it's 7.30. Are you up? Josh! 20th Century Fox presents... Tom Hanks. Big. I turned into a grown-up mom. All right, so Tom Hanks is big in 1988, the same year that we took the delivery of our final CF-18 jets. Now, the CF-18s were made to 2000, but Canada got their last delivery of their order in 1988. So let's compare technology, shall we? How old are our jets? Well, in 1988, you could buy the technology in this fantastic Ford Escort. We have a frozen computer. This is going well. There it is. Got it. It's been the world's best-selling car six years running. Maybe it's because of features, reputation, or overall value. Whatever it is, it's no big surprise if you've driven a Ford Escort lately. Winning the world over. Have you been behind the wheel? Winning the world over. Now get a $500 cash bonus on Ford Escort. Whoa. That I is love those terrible. commercials. They're so bad. Oh. I would love to see Ford try to do one of those today. Go from I the think Ford 1500 to right? Ford. Uh, bring it back, Ford. Do it. 1988. Okay. Uh, video games in 1988. We're not going to have time to play it, but just acknowledge Nintendo NES was the biggest toy of the year in 1988. That's the level of technology when we received the last of our airplanes. And from TV... How about 1988 and Cheers? 
The Cheers gang has found the perfect waitress. And the best part is there's no chance of any romantic complication to screw things up. But hold on. Wait till Sammy meets his new employee's daughter. Caroline! Mommy! Sam? Carla's laying down the law. If you go out with her, I quit. And will Sammy listen to reason? Caroline's off my That's your brain talking, Sam. I would like to hear from the part of your body that does the thinking. Next time on Cheers. Tonight at 7 on Channel 11. Oh, ho, 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 burn. 1988, Flashback Friday. 1988, the last year that we received uh, fighter jets in Canada on our own order and did not buy them used. So just to give you some context of how long ago. Now, in the spirit of being positive about this, why not? Look at the life cycle of these jets. They have lasted a very long time. They have continued to provide for us successfully for a very long time they are rated as one of the best jets that have ever been made and there seems to be proof in that that's for sure and why not i mean hey we still play songs from 1988 every time we go to the bar or karaoke so how about that 1988 maybe not all that bad this is the shift podcast are you okay with need your feedback niagara falls i love niagara I, falls. yeah i really miss it it's probably been 10 years uh excuse me since i've been to niagara falls and it really is quite an awesome experience to go there uh <sighs> it, it, like the my favorite part of Niagara Falls by far. I've never been on the Maid of the Mist or any of the boats, but there's the cave system underneath mm. where you can kind of, you know, you're not directly in the falls, but you're just off to the side. You're lower than the top level. And there's so much moisture that the caves are literally dripping from the water being, you know, shot back up like into the, the air by the crashing stuff, yeah. falls. The mist. It's amazing. It's, it's, it amazing. It, and you can't even really comprehend just how enormous it is till you look at it. I don't think that's it though, Ryan. I don't think that's the most impressive part in the spirit of debating really? it. Okay. Yeah, I do. What's there's the there's some part? spots up at the top of the falls. Well, I've done the Niagara Air Tours, the helicopters. I've done that flight. Oh, that'd be sweet. And I did it in a helicopter and then I did it once in a biplane, which was really cool. Uh, Pitch Wait, Molnar took me up in a biplane? old night, like an old biplane, like an old Stearman radial engine. Whoa, made of fabric amazing. no top <laughs> it was amazing and um but when you're down on the ground and when you're standing at the top of the falls you can kind of go a little bit further south and you can get right down to where the river flows and i think that's the there's the rocks in there there's lots of flowers that's the spot where you truly see the magnitude of water that's going mm -hmm. over i don't think you see the amount of water when you're at the bottom of it. I think when you're looking at the top of it and watching the water go over, you realize how much water is there, how powerful the falls is. Not to mention, it's kind of like a little Vegas. It is and a it's mini a lot Vegas. of fun town. Yeah. It is a mini Vegas. Yeah, I've if never they, been they as figured an adult. That part out, they would do really well, um, you know, with, with everything to do with it. Now, the prettiest part of the falls, of course, is when they do concerts, Canada Day, New Year's, all of that. But there's one little thing that happens every single day, 
and Canada's biggest tour attraction. I mean, I lived like eight minutes away from there. It was beautiful. Canada's biggest tour attraction owes a lot to a man named Paul Gordon. Every night, the falls were illuminated to brilliant effect, gigantic spotlights. Uh, it was done by uh, by this man. His obituary reads, he truly enjoyed his 54 years lighting up Niagara Falls with the illumination board. His nickname, Old Lamplighter. This report Global did on Niagara's COVID recovery from October of last year, right as Americans were being let back across the border. Drawn in by the falls and the countless attractions. American tourist Shiraz Ahmed and his wife are visiting Niagara for the first time. They've traveled all the way from Texas. We were having dream to come to see Niagara. The border city is anticipating a surge in American tourists like Ahmed, with the federal government slated to ease COVID restrictions at the border starting this weekend. But the sights and sounds of Clifton Hill often stop travelers from venturing off to this part of town. It doesn't get as much love as the tourist areas, but there's a lot of great businesses down here and restaurants uh, on the street. Businesses on Queen Street visibly hit by the pandemic. The few that have managed to survive, like the back alley barbershop, are surrounded by vacant storefronts, which is why Barranca is hoping the anticipated boost in tourism will aid in rebuilding the economy. We go over, they come over, it's good for business, and uh, a lot of people didn't come because they didn't want to deal with filling out the arrive can and all that. So I just want to make a correction. That it's Peter, by the way. Uh, Peter Gordon is who is owed by that. Now, uh, Peter, absolutely remarkable story, uh, has passed away. Now, um, that was the commitment for 54 years, um, lighting up the falls. Pretty colors, rainbow colors, deep purples and blues, gigantic spotlights cast, I don't know how far, had to be a kilometer just to shine out the water as it falls down. On the Canadian side, beautiful stuff, which, by the way, uh, the distance from Jono to Niagara Falls is uh, 3,408 kilometers. It's an old thing we used to do here. Uh, from Ryan O'Donnell to Niagara Falls, 2,762 nice. kilometers. And where I broadcast from in Airdrie, just outside Calgary, 3,229 kilometers. That's not right. Because uh, it looks like on the map, it's on the border of BC. Thank you for the text message. Niagara Falls is zero kilometers away from Niagara Falls. <laughs> Two different people people yeah, texted, texted that. that exact same text. <laughs> I Literally exactly the same, word for word. I love it. So good. Um, now, we can't help th- but think of um, that recovery of all things Niagara Falls is truly owed to Peter. The work that he did to keep the falls looking beautiful 24-7, and I hope that that carries on for a very, very, very long time. Now, since we are saluting uh, Niagara Falls in general, it wouldn't be shifty if we didn't add a little bit of music into it. A couple of notables from Niagara Falls. Honeymoon Suite. If you like to be a rocker. And then there's um, there's a fella that's... Um, Sorry, I had to get that part in. Yeah, um, had to. He started out making computer music and then um, took that career and turned it into being one of the most influential DJs in the entire world. And when he did it, 
um, he put out a gigantic mask and turned himself into a mouse. Dead mouse, also from Niagara Falls, grew up there. So there you go. A couple of little artist connections of things that um, have happened there. Dead mouse has some new music out, by the way. Honeymoon Suite. He does. Not as much. Are you okay with New Mexico? New Mexico. I've 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 never been and I don't really know what to do there. I my biggest exposure to New Mexico and I hate to say this is is Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. It's just oh, I learned drugs. a lot about uh, uh Albuquerque and uh you know the fact that it, everything looks orange. Uh, but you know, a desert city, a desert, if there's much, uh, for me out in New Mexico, although I would do the Breaking Bad tour, uh, and the, uh, what the city hall, I believe in Albuquerque has two bronze statues of, uh, Brian Cranston as, uh, no. as, as, yeah, there are two bronze statues of Jesse Pinkman and, of, and Walter of White drug in the dealers city hall and, of drug and dealers drug... and murderers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to be wow. fair, though, that show is probably bought, brought in, uh, like The Last of Us has for Canada, hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. in tourism to the city because it is a beloved TV show, even though they are terrible people in the show. It's like New Mexico to me is a lot like, uh, I think it's Calexico Cal is the name of the, the city. It's basically a place in California that's so close to Mexico that like, what should we call this place? It's almost California. It's almost Mexico. Let's call it Calexico. Right? Like that it's I feel like it's that's what New Mexico is. It's like we're yeah. in Mexico and welcome to New Mexico, right? It's a very terrible well, sales pitch. I'm assuming um, that they took the name just after the US conquered the territory and the their war with Mexico and they just mm. were like, "All right, what do we call it?" Uh, it's Mexico, but it's new. Right. Nailed it. <laughs> Discovery made after police responded to reports of a shooting at a gas station in Albuquerque. We guarantee you will never guess what was found when police followed a trail of blood near the gas station. Officers were sent to Indiana Street near Zuni after shot spotter alert. Officers also were told of a person who'd been shot outside in all subs. When they arrived, they heard another gunshot and found Kevin Gerardo Mercado, who was armed, Officers followed a trail of blood to a trailer where they looked inside for the injured person. Instead, they found a Bengal tiger cub in a dog crate. It appears the cub was not injured, and officers say a potential victim has not been located. It's not clear whether this is the same tiger that was never found following a raid at two Albuquerque homes back in September. Yeah, no, that was not on my bingo card of things to find. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cartel bingo card. What do you got hanging around in New Mexico? Uh, mm. Yeah, just a in tiger. A Very cute tiger, I will say. Yeah. Uh, that was KTLA 5, by the way. Tiger Cub, tiger Cub was placed in the custody of New Mexico Police Department of Game and Fish. Not big cats, because they don't think they have one, according to the press release. It probably goes without saying you cannot own a tiger in New Mexico. Members of the general public are not allowed to keep these species for any reason. The Fish and Game Department wrote in September 2022, further possession of large carnivores, such as a tiger or an alligator, presents a clear danger to the public, without a doubt. You got it. Okay. Are you okay with... Bailey's. Ooh. 
yes i love baileys when i was a kid i thought it was just like normal <laughs> i thought it was just like a normal cream and i didn't ever try it because i you know it was in the liquor cabinet oh. and i didn't even understand what a liqueur was you know but man mm -hmm. baileys and coffee is just a sacred combination and um i feel like i have to have it as a, as a proud descendant of all the irish uh i, I mm. have to enjoy the baileys I would say that's very responsible of you to stand up for Ireland because of Bailey's. Yes. Well done. Thank you. Very good. I'm, now, I'm a soldier. <laughs> there's something about camping and Bailey's and your coffee and all those things. I would have to yeah. give a little sidebar of Kahlua in hot chocolate, by the way. Awesome. Okay, okay wait, wait, wait. Kahlua in what? hot chocolate compared to Bailey's in coffee. In Which coffee? one do you prefer? Oh, Kahlua and hot chocolate, hands down. Wow. Geez, but they, but okay. they're different. They're different scenarios. Kahlua and hot chocolates, like wintertime, come in from the outside kind of thing. Baileys and coffee you can have in the wintertime and in the summertime. You do mm. all of it. Right? Mm. Okay. Fair. Okay. Now, hands down, I think we can all agree, regardless of my Kahlua idea, that Baileys is delicious in coffee and probably not great for your pipes. Now, Baileys, if you add a little bit of lime juice and mix it around in your mouth, you get what's called a cement mixer, and it sort of all curdles and expands into a foamy, oh. gross mess. Oh, you're taking me back to when I was 18 years old and you had to do, like, the dare <laughs> shots. Yeah. Yikes. Who doesn't love a good cement mixer? Okay. Oof. Um. Delicious in your coffee, not great for your pipes, by the way, and not your pipes, your sink pipes. I mean, your pipes, that's up to you. Experts are warning people not to pour Irish cream liqueurs like Bailey's down the drain after Christmas. First of all, wasteful. Mm -hmm. Bailey's in coffee is a Christmas staple, and now that Christmas is over, people are putting it down the drain for dry January as they clean up the liquor cabinet. And experts are saying, pouring Baileys down the drain can cause serious problems. I would speculate drunk fish, but I don't know if that's a thing. Kevin Bagan, a director of Blockbuster Drainage in Wales, said it will collate in the U-bend under the sink due to its thick consistency and prevent liquid from passing through the external drainage. It can also cause uh, it to set in the small bore pipework, cause blockages too. He suggests put the leftovers in a container that you can throw out. You can always donate your Baileys to us here on The Shift. Ryan. <laughs> what? Ryan wrote that. Uh, you can donate your Baileys to Ryan, and he can promise it will not go to waste. He'll mix it with lime. I guess the lime cement mixer thing really is true. It's just also in your drains. So, you Yeah, go. you don't want to do that. I, I had, Literally, that was a suppressed memory I had was having cement mixers. I was suppressed. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that out. I'm going out with friends to the bar this weekend for the first time in a long time, just bar drinking. And yep. uh, great. That's going to be on my mind. So thank you. It's not it? okay you with that. Do that. I think um, I will. I think do, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, you should do some uh, Sour Jacks too. Can we throw some Sour Jacks in the Sour mix? Jack. Yeah. And the Rocky Mountain yeah. Trail, which was um, tequila, red mm. wine, and mm -hmm. Tabasco. Oh, God. That's yeah, that okay. one sucked. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> don't do that. Wow. Do not do that. Ever don't do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do one more here quickly. Are you okay with factories? I mean, they I like give the us stuff. Them. They do give yeah. us stuff. I don't think I would they ever work in one. I'm not built for that. I'm too small and skinny and scrawny, but uh, they're really cool to take a tour of. And uh, yeah. 
Take Dad a tour? took me through the car through the car ones when I was younger. Oh, cool. I like that. All right. Yeah. Um, residents living near a massive chemical plant in Chicago had to deal with a very concerning fire this week. LaSalle officials are telling residents not to touch, get this, a green-colored substance that was released into the area during a massive fire. People who live in the area shared photos of a substance coating their homes, yards, decks, and cars. When I hit the windshield wipers, it was looked black to me, then it turned green, and uh, now it's like a brown color. Another neighbor shared these photos of what she says is a hole eaten through her patio furniture in just a matter of hours. As firefighters contained, then extinguished the chemical fire, a representative with Keras Chemical tried to reassure residents. Some of the material that was released during the uh, incident, uh, potassium permanganate, is used as a drinking water material. If you come in contact with that material, it can cause staining on the skin. The stain does not pose a... Uh, a health threat. They know what they're making, and for them to say that they would let their dog in their backyard and eat some of that grass that that stuff just fell on, I, I find that really, really appalling. I agree with you, sir. Uh, now, yeah. much like don't eat yellow snow, anybody who has watched The Simpsons knows do not touch a green-colored foreign substance. Mm-hmm. Now the tone has shifted. Do not touch this substance, LaSalle Police Department wrote in an alert. If you see the substance near or on your residence, it can be deactivated. What the hell? Uh, Department have said that the residents will need a mixture of one gallon of water, one gallon of peroxide, and one gallon of vinegar. The fire is under control. Currently, the town of LaSalle is not glowing green, so that is good. But what the heck is it? Dun, dun, dun. Glow-in-the-dark slime, man. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.